So 2019, an ice storm hit the southeast, and it was particularly bad in the Alabama area in the state and, and even Birmingham more specifically. And, and because of that ice storm, motorists were trapped on the interstate, uh, just couldn't go anywhere, you know, uh, and, and were stuck almost for 24 hours, some of them, including kids on school buses and other things. It was a bad scene. Well, there was a, uh, a Chick-fil-A along that interstate, and the manager there, the owner-operator, uh, Mark Meadows, he was, he was trying to get the store cleared out and, and get it shut down and cleaned up and everybody home before the art, art, uh, ice storm, but it didn't work. And so his, him and his employees were stuck there at the Chick-fil-A. They saw the scene out on the interstate, and they said, you know what, we need to do something about that. So they fired everything back up, and they started just pumping out Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Who wouldn't like that right now, right? They started pumping them out. And then they started delivering them to the different cars, and they would refuse payment. They just said, we just want to do this for you. And then they got back to the store, and they realized there was people cold and stranded. So they opened the store up. They, they provided places on the benches to sleep and somewhere warm to be and, and even serve breakfast the next morning. And the news got a hold of that story, and, and they interviewed uh, one of the managers there. And this is what he said. This company is based on taking care of people and loving people before you're worried about money or profit. We're just trying to follow the model that we've, that have been, we've been working under for so long and the model that we've come to love. There was really nothing else we could have done yet to try to help people any way we could. Isn't that incredible? That's an incredible story because it's so rare. Like it's remarkable because it's rare that we've seen that kind of uh, unconditional and, and just generous love demonstrated today. And then I was thinking, how can Chick-fil-A get that so right? And the rest of us, it's so easy to get wrong. How do they get, you say, I know how they get, it's God's chicken, right? It is, it has defined favor on that chicken, right? It's God's chicken, that's how they did it. Well, maybe so, but, but here's how I think that statement should sound. Tell, tell me if you agree with this. This is how that statement should sound. Following Jesus is based on taking care of people and loving people before you worry about yourself. We're just trying to follow Jesus' model and demonstrate love the way he did and putting others ahead of ourselves. Really, there was nothing else we could do but to follow Jesus' example of love. Guys, today what we're going to talk about in this series, let's be clear, we're, we're hitting different uh, passages in 1 John and studying them together, and we're going to be challenged today on how we love and what we love, how we love and what we love. So let's dive in in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, say this, uh, do not love the world or anything in the world. Let me stop there. If in, do not love the world or anything in the world. That's pretty clear. We are not to love the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. God inspires John to write this passage and he contrasts two separate ideas that there is a love we can have for the world and the things of the world and, and a love that we are to have for God and for God alone. He says those two things are mutually exclusive. 
We can't love God the way we ought to and, and, and still hang on to love for the world. You can't love both. And this is the way I want to say it today over and over again. The reason that you and I can't seek to love both is we only have so much room in our heart for one consuming love. There's only that much room for one consuming love. If we love the world, it can pull us away and bring us away from the love of the Father and we lose sight of his love. They're in competition with one another. Now, I'm going to take you back to uh, 2009. The Orange Bowl is a BCS Bowl. It was a big deal. Uh, we were talking about football. We love this time of the year. We were talking about it in the hallway. I'm a big football fan, and if you know me, I have two teams. I graduated from Georgia Tech. That's what I thought would happen. Yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> and so I'm a Yellow Jacket fan, but I grew up, you may not know this, my parents were from the Midwest, from Iowa, and they both graduated from the University of Iowa, so I'm a huge Iowa Hawkeye fan. Well, guess who played in the Orange Bowl 2009? Georgia Tech and Iowa. Got the T-shirt. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, that's really cool. And then I started thinking about it. This is going to be hard. Because my parents were like, hey, you're, you're rooting for Iowa, aren't you? I mean, if you're going to watch the game here, <laughs> you're rooting for Iowa, right? I was like, uh, Yeah. And then I had my Georgia Tech buddies that I graduated with. They were friends of mine, and we were still friends. And they're calling me up. They're like, dude, you graduated from Tech. You're going to root for Tech. I mean, we know you like Iowa. You're rooting for Tech, right? And I'm like, I don't know. I felt so torn. I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I thought, well, I'll just ride the middle. Like, one of my teams is going to win, and the other one's going to lose, but I'll just focus on whoever wins, and, and that'll be fine. Probably didn't work. And as the game got close, I was like, I got to choose. I got to pick. And so I went with my one, the oldest love, the most passionate team I am for, Iowa. I, I said, I'm going to root for the Hawkeyes. And they won. So that made me feel good. But, you know, that's where we live so much of our life is say, yeah, I love God. I love what he's done for me. I have a love for God. But yet there's these other loves that are competing for my attention and they're competing for the affection of my heart. And they're even competing to be this one consuming love of my life, even more than my love for God. And you just can't live there. You can't live in that tension that I'm going to love the world and I'm going to love the Father. I'm going to love the things of the world and I'm going to love the things of God. I'm going to love what this world can offer me, but I'm going to try to love the things that eternity offers. And they're in contradiction with each other. God's saying you can't do it. You can't live in that middle space. And look, obviously, if we're, if we're consumed with things that are destructive and harmful, that, that, that's obvious that, 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 that isn't what we should do. But where it really rubs is where it's the, the things that aren't inherently bad, our hobbies or, uh, you know, football for me or, or your family or these other good things. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having a love for those things. But if they are competing against the love of the Father in your life, then it's wrong. It's wrong. Because you only have room in your heart for one consuming love. So this scripture that we're going to look at today, we're just going to kind of unpack a few phrases in what we already read. 
That's three warnings. There's three desires of this world that, that is always trying to husk you and I. And it's in each one, all of us have a desire for these things. And it's trying to pull us away from the love of the Father. It's trying to pull us into the things of the world that we would not be satisfied in our God, but in the things of this world. And so he says three specific things. He said, first of all, don't love the world in that it has the lust of the flesh. What's that mean? It's any bodily craving or desire you have taken too far. I mean, we all love to eat. Our body craves nutrient. But when you eat too much, that's gluttony. That's wrong, right? By the way, I'm going to step on everybody's toes today. Is not anybody getting out of this? Um, our bodies crave things like sugar, caffeine, nicotine. Did I get everybody? They, 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 it craves things that are harmful to it, alcohol and drugs. And you know what our culture says? Anything your body craves, give it. Isn't that the answer, the, the, the message you're getting like I'm getting? Anything you want, your body craves, you should have it. That's literally why we have convenience stores. Is because when you're pumping gas, you go, you know what? A Snickers and a Monster sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> That sounds great. But taken too far, it's harmful. You know, speaking of Snickers, you remember those commercials back in the day? Um, and I remember the one is that they're playing football, a bunch of buddies playing football out in the backyard, and, and Betty White's out on the field. Remember from the Golden Girls? Like, what is Betty White doing in this commercial? And she runs a post pattern, like the ball hits her in the head and she doesn't catch it. And you're like, and they're going, dude, why did you drop the... The ball, you're, you're acting like Betty White out here, and, then, and she comes back in the huddle, and she's whining. And then the girlfriend comes up and hands uh, Betty White the Snickers, and she eats it and turns into Mike. And it says, you're just not yourself when you're hungry. And that's true. You can ask my family. I'm a bear when I'm hungry. <laughs> so I've been doing this thing. There's a book called Le Leaders Eat Last, and so I'm trying to eat last everywhere I go. And the, the, you know what that does? It makes me hurry them up. <laughs> it's great leadership. Man, our body has these cravings, and it's so easy just to say, I'm going to give my body whatever it wants. That's what the culture says. But you know what God says? It says to deny ourselves, to deny our flesh, that we should not be uh, a slave to what our body says we should do, that we have the authority and power to say no to our bodily urges. You want to know why the, the scriptures commend uh, fasting? We need food, but you know what? We don't need food like we think we need food. And you go a couple days without eating food, and it reminds you that you can say no to your bodily impulses. So we crave those things. We crave comfort. You know, we did a campaign a couple years ago, and the seats you're sitting on, we, we, we bought those with the money we raised, and we called it Happy New Rear. That's good, isn't it? Because the seats we had before, those seats were horrible. They were hard. And I thought, I didn't think anything of it until I, somebody else was preaching one Sunday. And I sat on an all service like, we got to get new chairs. This is terrible. How have we been doing this? So comfort's a good thing. We like comfort. But you take comfort too far, and now we're talking about laziness. And I was thinking about, like, like there's so million, there's millions of examples on our culture. But I, the one I thought of was remote control. 
Do you remember TV when TV remote controls came out? I remember that. Y'all, any y'all old? Oh yeah. So before that, if you wanted to change the channel, you had to get up, go to the, and go, and there was two of them. Anyway, and if you're watching TV with your family and your dad says, "Hey, it's time to change the channel," guess who was the remote control? Son, <laughs> turn the channel. So when the TV remote came out, it was awesome. We were like, yeah. You know what we have today? We have remote controls for the radios in our cars. What? Because this is too, I can't do that. I got one to do this. That's a little too far in the comfort area, don't you think? You know what? Our bodies crave sleep. I recommend having a good night's rest. I'm that annoying person that sleeps really great, and then I'm really annoying in the morning. That's me. You can ask them. I mean, you can ask the worship team this morning. Get some good rest. But listen, when sleep, when craving that becomes too far, when it starts taking a priority in your life that it shouldn't, it results in laziness and slothfulness when it gets in the way. Corey talked last week about sex. Our bodies have a desire for intimacy in that way. God wired us that way. But he did a beautiful job last week saying, listen, anything outside of a man and a woman in the context of marriage is wrong. It's not what God planned. That we should restrain ourselves. Anything other than that requires us to say no to our physical impulses. Can I stop now? Y'all all hate me? Did I get everybody? I got me a couple times. See, most of the things I listed there are good things. And in the right context, in the right amount, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of them. But God says, listen, I've given you bodily desires so that when you, when you satisfy them in the right way and in the right context, in the right amount, that it's refreshing and it's nourishing and it's life-giving and it's good. But when you start to love those things and the love for them competes with your love for me, when you want them more than you want me, you'll lose sight of me and my love. And you'll love the creation more than the creator. You know, Jesus was tempted in this. Hebrews 4 says Jesus was tempted in every, but he did have every type of temptation. He faced this, the lust of the flesh. See, in Matthew 4, he had, he had gone in the wilderness by himself and fasted for 40 days. And then Satan picks that moment to come to him and say, listen, I know you're hungry. And at 40 days, that is really the physical limit for a human to go without food. And Jesus' insides would have been eating themselves. And in this moment of complete pain of hunger, Satan says, if you'll turn these stones into bread, you can eat. And Jesus said, because you offered it, I'm not taking it. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the very words that proceed from the mouth of God. I don't have to give in to my physical cravings. He said no to the lust of the, of the, of the flesh. We're also warned against uh, another type of, of, of hook that will pull us away from the Father, and that's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. What does that mean? That's, that's wanting something that you don't have too much. Wanting something that you don't have too much. Nothing wrong with wanting things. It's not, there's nothing wrong with having things, but there is something wrong with wanting things you don't have too much. It leads to all kinds of obvious things, things like greed, being a workaholic, lying or cheating to get ahead. Those are kind of obvious to me, but more subtle ones might be when we resent 
things that other people have and we end up coveting what they have because we don't like that they have it and we don't. It leads to things like envy, jealousy, and because they have something I don't have, I, I, I got to make sure that, that I talk bad about them so I'll gossip or slander them. And those things all come from greed. See, when we're discontent with what we have, when we want what we don't have too much, what that's saying is I resent the goodness of God in someone else's life while ignoring the goodness of God in my own. We live very discontented lives. And then this is how Jesus said it. Serve two masters. Because either you'll... Does that sound familiar? Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Because either... You'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. You can't live in the middle. You can't love God and love the things of this world. Man, we live in a culture that so promotes having more and more and more. And I know we're about to go in a season. We're going to buy people more and more. And there's nothing wrong with it having more, but there is something really wrong with Godding. gotta have more. God says, I got something better for you than that. You don't need to love the creation. If you like what I've made, you can't wait to see me. Don't love the creation. Love, fall in love with the creator. Because when you and I uh, put our love in the things of this world, listen, it's like, it's like having the best sandcastle on the shore of the beach before high tide. And it's beautiful and it's shiny, but it's going away really soon. It's going to be gone. It isn't going to matter how beautiful, how many seashells you stuck on that sucker. It's gone. He said, don't live for that. I've got something better for you than that. You only have room in your heart for one consuming love. You know, Jesus was tempted in this way also. Satan promised him the riches of all the kingdoms of the world. Isn't that something? He said, you can have uh, kingdoms, you can have riches, you can have possession, you can have all these things, Jesus, if you worship me. So I'm not doing it. In fact, it kind of seems ridiculous to me that Jesus was even tempted by that. Does it you? Like the one who made everything is tempted about just Satan offering him some of that stuff back. That doesn't even seem like a temptation to me. Like, like it would be weird for Jesus to go, man, I really struggled with that one. I don't think so. Then why, as his followers, would we give ourselves to those things? They don't satisfy and they don't last Thirdly, he warns us about the pride of life. Living in pride. Having a heart full of pride. You know what pride is? It's basing, having, having a high opinion of yourself based on the wrong thing. That's what pride is. Having a high opinion of yourself based on the wrong thing. Pride happens when we take credit for the good things in our life. And there's all kinds of areas that we take credit for. I'm going to just talk about, let's say, your work career and being successful in your career. That we would have in a high, if we are successful, if we make a bunch of money at what we do, if we're good at what we do, if we get attaboys for what we do, if we climb the ladder because of what we do, if we're more successful than other people at what we do, guess what loves to creep in? Pride. 
I said, man, look what I did. Look what I did. Pride's when you take credit for the good things in your life that you ought to be giving God thanks for. That's pride. You say, well, I got up early. I worked hard. I'm the one who made it happen. Yes and no. Listen, if that's you and you get up early and you work hard and you think you made it happen, yes, you've gotten up early and yes, you've worked hard, but it is God who made it happen. Listen, it's God who gave you a healthy mind and body to do what you do. It is God who gave you the talents and skills to do what you do. It is God who put you in the position so you could do what you do. It is God who surrounded you with the right people so you could do what you do. And pride says, I did it. Humility says God did it. Listen to what God says in 1 Peter 5. It says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. Listen to me. You want to make sure God is working against you in your life? You want to make sure that God is going to try to kind of bring you back down? Then just be prideful. Just take credit for things. Just think you did it all. Just think you're the one to, to, to uh, be the hero. God says, I'll work against that. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble or a favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. What he's saying is his humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. You can choose to humble yourself and say, listen, it wasn't me who did it. It was God who did it. And I'm just a beneficiary of God's blessings in my life. And yes, he wants me to work hard. And yes, he wants me to succeed in my career. And yes, he wants me to do my but it is God, it is God, it is him. Who gets the credit? I love this phrase. I, I tell it to my kids sometimes that humility is the currency of heaven. It's what God values. I mean, I, I think it's great when they do good in their schoolwork and they excel in a sport or extracurricular or, you know, do this. But if, if, if they have a humble and contrite heart before God, isn't that better than all that? If you and I choose to have a humble and contrite heart before God, really all these other things really doesn't matter to how successful we may be. See, our opinion of ourselves is not to be based on what we've done or what we're good at or what other people think of us, but only on what God says is true about us. You believe that, church? Our opinion of ourselves should be based on what God says. That every person on this planet was made in the image of God. That, that who we are, was we could have been made in someone else's image, but God says, I'm going to make you in my image. How do you do better than that? You can't. That I should feel good, you should feel good about who you are because you're made in the image of God. And the person you're talking to, the person you're in conflict with, or the person you don't like very much is also made in the image of God. And then he said, if you've crossed the line of faith, what scripture says, if you've crossed the line of faith and you've recognized that you are, you are uh, guilty before a holy God and you need someone to intervene to remove the guilt and shame of your sin and you recognize that Jesus Christ was God's solution for that and you received him into the, your life that you might experience God's love and forgiveness and know that you have a relationship with him and you've made that decision, then you are even better than God's image. You are now his child. You are made his child. 
And God says, listen, and who you are and how I see you is you are holy and blameless in my sight. Can you improve on that? There's no way we can improve on that. There isn't anything you can do to add to holy and blameless. There isn't anything I can do to love God more. There isn't anything uh, you can do that God would love you more. Because if you've crossed that line of faith, you're his kid, and he sees you as holy and blameless in his sight. That is who you are. And so when things are going good, you might feel good about yourself. And then when things are going bad, you feel bad about yourself. Listen, that's not staking your claim on who God says you are. God says who you are, and it doesn't change, and it doesn't move. It is found in Christ and his finished work for you on a cross. And you know what? That can never be taken away. That's pretty good, isn't it? Jesus was tempted in this. It was actually the second temptation, but Matthew 4, Satan says, hey, look, I got an idea. Let's go to the temple in Jerusalem, and we're going to stand on the top of that temple, and there's going to be people all around and uh, on the temple mount there. And I got an idea. Jesus, why don't you throw yourself down in front of everybody, and the angels are going to catch you. God's not going to let you fall, and he's going to catch you, and he's going to lay you down on the, on, the, on the earth really soft and gentle, and, and then... Uh, he doesn't say this, but the thought behind that temptation is this. Then everyone will know you're not some hick rabbi from Nazareth. You are the Messiah who would come. You're the anointed one. You're the supernatural king that is to come to fulfill the prophecy. Then everyone will know you are the son of the living God and that they, you can enjoy their worship today. He's appealing to And Jesus said, I'm not doing it. Because if he steps off that temple roof, no way the mob that sees that, no way those people see him to a cross. And so the choice Jesus had to make was, do I want the glory and fame and the honor I deserve today or do I suspend it so that I stay on my mission to go to a cross and pay for the sins of the world? He says, I will not budge. I'm gonna fulfill my mission. So, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. God says, listen, watch out for those. Don't, don't get hooked by those. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to give in to every temptation I face today. And I want to just go crazy in greed today. Or I'm going to just puff myself up today. But you know what happens? The world just grabs a rope and slowly pulls. Come on in. Come on in. Believe that lie. Think that about yourself. And it just happens. And the reason God says, listen, don't give your first consuming love to those things is because they're destructive to yourself and to others. They're destructive. And also, because when you and I give our love to those things, we've only got so much room in our heart to, for a consuming love, we'll miss out on the love of the Father. We've got to choose. The greatest tragedy is that we would miss out on the love of the Father in our lives. So what does it mean? What does it look like to have the love of the Father? 
I think most of us would say, you know, those people that, that, that worship really big, you know, like the hands up people or the shaking around people, you know, that, that shows that I love the God. Or maybe the eloquent, people that can really pray eloquently, those, those are the people that really have a love for the Father in them. Or those who write really big checks to the cause of, of God, those are the people with the love of the Father. And you go down a chapter, and I believe he answers that question. In 1 John 3, he says this, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. God says, if you love me and my love lives in you, then you will want to do the right thing and you will want to live holy before me. Not that you always will, but there is a deep-seated desire in you to try to please your heavenly Father. Just with the moral choices you make in your life. And then he says, if you, if you love me and my love lives in you, then you will demonstrate that love to my kids. Those who are made in my image are those who are my kids. And that didn't really make sense to me for a while. I kind of wrestled with that. I thought, why did he say that? Why, why is that evidence? And then I thought about my kids. And I thought, you know, if someone gives me a compliment, I like it. I mean, Kevin, you give them all time to me, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like one of my kids. I'm like, yeah. Keep it going. Like, give me more, right? I love hearing that. Maybe it's pride on my part, but I love hearing when people compliment my kids. And then I thought, if I was, you know, if I had a flat tire and I was on the side of the road and one of y'all drove by and you would stop, right? I mean, you'd stop. And you helped me change my tire? <laughs> That'd be nice. I, I, mean, I'd, I mean, I'd be indebted to you. I'd really feel appreciative and, and indebted for what you did. But if one of my kids were driving back from college in Gainesville and they had a blowout on the side of the road and, and there's a flat tire and there's cars whizzing by and you stopped and helped my kids get into safety and change their tire and, and be okay, I would run through a brick wall for you. I mean, Kool-Aid man style. Boom. <laughs> Whatever you need, I'm there. That's what God's saying. Man, if you love me and my love lives in you, yes, I want you to love me through worship. Yes, I want you to come to me in prayer. Yes, I want you to be generous to my mission. Yes, I want you to grow in your holiness. But man, do I love it when you love those I love. I love that. When you love who I love. So I'm going to show a video of a six-year-old boy. I think we got a lot to learn about loving others through him. We end with a little boy with enormous power, the power to lift spirits. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jaden Hayes has lived it <coughs> twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried and I tried to get her away. Couldn't. Jaden is understandably heartbroken. Anybody can die. That's anybody. But there's another side to his grief, a side he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. 
and he had a plan wow. to fix it. And that was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. <laughs> Jaden asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives. Thank you, sweetie. So he could then you want me to have it? give them away. Thank you, man. What is it you're doing? Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs. Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really. See that man right there? Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. You made me smile. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful. It's to make you smile. Even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It is just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he is paid handsomely in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this light shone. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm still sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly 500 at last count, Jaden has clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to be 33,000. 33,000? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm-hmm. You think he can make that goal? Mm-hmm. I think I can. I think he just did. Steve Hartman on the road in Savannah, Georgia. That's the CBS Evening News for tonight. For all of us at CBS News all around the world, good night. Isn't that good? God says don't give the one consuming love that you've got to something in this world. It's going gonna, it's gonna to let you down. It won't satisfy. We were built. We were wired to be satisfied in the love of the Father that we would give it away to one another. I'm asking you if you'll bow your heads and pray with me. And Father, we're just seeking a response to your word today. And Father, first I want to pray for the, for the person in this room that says, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. I've crossed that line of faith and Jesus is the forgiver and the leader of my life. Yet, I've just drifted from the love things in my life that are competing for that love. There's things of this world that are, that are too much consuming me. There's things of this world that are taking priority over the love that I should have for you first. And look, if that's where you are today, you know, I got great news. God says, come back to me. Be satisfied in me. Let my love satisfy you so you can share it with others. If the Lord's pressing in on those things, if you just want to pray, God, and call it by name, God, this thing in my life has been consuming me. It's been competing for my love for you. And I just want to say, God, I'm sorry. And that's going to change. God, satisfy me today, even now, in your love for me. 
that I don't have to go looking anywhere else, that there is a love that is eternal, that, is, that never goes away in you, that is all I need. I want to pray for the person in this room that say, I'm, I'm not a Christ follower. I want you to, and anything that you love is temporary and one day it'll be gone, it'll be over. And then you'll be lacking love in your life because the eternal satisfying love of God will have passed you by because you didn't take it when you could. If that's where you are today, listen, I want you to know his love for you is greater than your past. He says, I know what you've been through, I know what you've done and I love you anyway. My love's greater than that. He says, I want you to know that my love for you is greater than your present, that what you're going through right now, where you are in this moment, can't prevent my love for you. My love's greater. That I'll meet you right where you are. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to try to change yourself. You, in fact, you can't do that apart from me and my love. So I'll take you right where you are if you humbly turn to me today. And listen, your heavenly father would be saying, I know about your hurt, but my love is greater than your hurt. I know, what, I know what happened to you in your past, but I want you to know that I will one day right every wrong. Don't let that hurt, don't let that past prevent you from seeing and receiving my love today. And so if that's you, you haven't been a follower of Christ, but today is the moment where you're gonna cross the line of faith and say yes to the love of the Father because the love of the things of this world have not satisfied you like they promised. And today you wanna come and say, I wanna give God a chance. God, I want you to become uh, center stage in my life. I wanna receive your forgiveness today. It's really this simple. Jesus Christ went upon a cross after being tormented and tortured to pay for your sin. And there's nothing you could do to earn it, deserve it. You can only receive it. That you would turn from your sin today. Say, God, I want to live a life that pleases you from this day forward. And I want to receive your love into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. Make this your prayer then. Say, God, today's the day. And so I open my heart, God, I want to receive Jesus, your son, into my life. And I ask for you to forgive me. God, I ask for you to pour your love into me and call me your kid today. Listen, if you prayed that today, just, I don't care if somebody's watching or slip your hand up and say, today's the day I received the love of the Father. Today's the day. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're my child. You are holy and blameless in my sight. And you will be with me forever. God, we give you thanks for your satisfying love. In Jesus' name we pray.